you have uh, children, kindergarten to third grade, and they're going down to Children's Church, they can dismiss uh, out the back with Miss Connie. Um, if you're staying with us, we're going to be in Mark chapter 1, uh, verses 40 through 45 today, if you would like to uh, head that direction. Uh, so today, we're beginning a new series that will take us uh, through the fall. I'm excited about this series because we're going to learn about Jesus, how we relate to him, and how he loves us through some stories uh, that are taught regularly uh, in children's Sunday school classes across the world. During this series that we're calling Miraculous Encounters, we're going to look at uh, seven different miracles that Jesus uh, performed, and through those, see what we can learn about his character and how it is that we relate to him. The Bible calls Jesus' miracles signs. So, so Jesus did not just perform miracles for the point of performing miracles, but they were signs that pointed to something greater, to something more. In John 20, 30-31, John writes, And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So the miracles of Jesus point us to his character, to his divine nature, to him being the promised Messiah, and in that they reveal to us how he relates with us as his followers, as his disciples. So throughout the series, we're going to see Jesus' miracles. We're going to celebrate them and what they proclaim to us about his character. And in that, we're going to see how he loves us and desires to re relate with us as sinners and as his followers. So no, Jesus' miracles aren't a promise or a proclamation that he will do the same kind of miraculous healing uh, in your life. Uh, but they are a promise that he loves you and he desires to meet your greatest need, which is forgiveness of sins, victory over death, and purpose in this life. So that's what we are going to examine uh, throughout this series. So today we're going to be in Mark chapter 1, verses 40 through 5, looking at a story in which Jesus encounters a man with leprosy. This story is also recorded in Luke's gospel uh, in chapter 5. So as we look at this story, we're going to do three things. First, we're going to look at the leper uh, and, and, his, and consider his, his condition, his need, and his life change through this miracle. Then we're going to look at Jesus and what we learn about him through this miracle. Then finally, we're going to look at what does this miracle point to? And what is the, the deeper meaning of this miracle or this sign as it applies to us today? So we're in Mark chapter 1, verses 40 through 45. Mark writes, a man with leprosy came to him, Jesus, and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was indignant. He reached out his hand and, hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone. But go, show yourself to the priests and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, he, the man, went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him and from, came to him from everywhere. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, just for this uh, story, this narrative. Uh, we thank you that this narrative is true. Lord, we thank you for this miracle that Jesus performed and what it shares with us, what it teaches us uh, about how we relate to Jesus. So God, I pray that as we study this passage, you would open our, our hearts and our minds to, to what it is you have for us today. God, we pray that if, if there's someone here that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, Lord, that you might reveal their need to them today, and that they might surrender and trust you with their life. God, I pray for, for the many of us that are here that, that may already be followers of you, Lord, that you would remind us of our story, that you would help us to give thanks 
uh, for the life change and healing we have experienced, God, and that you would send us out to proclaim that good news to those around us. God, we thank you uh, for who you are, Lord. We thank you for the hope and the promises we have in you. God, we love you. It's your name we pray. Amen. So this is an amazing story, and as I said in the intro, Jesus' miracles are signs that point us to what is going on at a deeper level, a, a spiritual level in our lives. These miracles don't promise uh, physical healing to every ailment we will ever have, but they do point us to the greater spiritual healing that is available to any and all that will turn to Jesus. So we're going to walk through this story trying to understand what we can about the circumstances and character of Jesus, and then see what that points to in our lives and our world today. So the first person we're introduced to in this, this story is the leper in verse 40. Mark writes, a man with leprosy came to him, Jesus, and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. So the first thing we see in this passage is, the, is that the leper was hopeless. So that's the first thing on your, your sermon notes. The, the leper's condition was hopeless. This leper's life was hopeless. Have you ever had a, a moment where you looked at your future, your job, your career, your family, and you felt like there was no way out and there was nothing worthwhile to look forward to? I mean, hopefully your answer to that is no. But if, if it's yes, then you can relate with this leper. Leprosy, now called Hansen's disease, was the most feared disease in the world at that time. It wasn't understood and there was no cure for it. It would begin as a white patch of skin, like a, a rash that would break out and then spread across your body. But once you saw that first white patch of skin, you knew that your life was over. It would spread across your body, ravishing it until you succumb to infection or wound. Dr. Paul Brand, who spent decades studying leprosy among lepers in India, describes it like this. He says, the gradual loss of the sense of pain leads to misuse of those body parts most dependent on pain's protection. A person uses a hammer, a hammer with a splintery handle, does not feel the pain, and an infection flares up. Another steps off a curb, spraining an ankle, and oblivious keeps on walking. Another loses use of the nerve that triggers the eyelid to blink every few seconds for lubricating moisture. The eye dries out and the person becomes blind. That's how leprosy would play out. And leprosy was not only physically debilitating, but it was socially and spiritually isolating as well. There was no cure, and they believed it was highly contagious. So as a leper, you would leave your family, your friends, your community, and you would live in leper colonies with other lepers. If anyone that wasn't a leper came close to you, you would have to shout out unclean for all to hear. In addition, most people at that time viewed leprosy as a curse from God for some sort of sin in your life. So not only did you struggle with the disease, but you were blamed for it as well. As a leper, you were spiritually isolated by your disease. With the physical isolation, you were isolated from the temple. And in Jewish faith, this meant you were isolated from the presence of God and from making atoning sacrifices for your sins. For the leper, there was no hope. There was no future in the first century Jewish world. The leper was sick with a death sentence. He had no hope of healing and no hope of re-entering society. At that time, there was no hope for him in the medical world. And there was nothing he could do in his power to save him. His condition was hopeless. All he had to look forward to was isolation until he succumbed to death. And as we read and we study the Bible, we quickly see in this story, we are the leper. Without Jesus, the Bible clearly tells us that we are sinners, unclean and unworthy to be in relationship with the Holy God. Isaiah 64, 6 says, all of us have become like one who is unclean. 
And all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. Isaiah says, we have all sinned, and therefore we are all spiritually unclean. We are all like the leper, except that we are cut off and we are separated from God himself. Romans 6.23 says, the wage or the consequence of our sin is death. Eternal death separated from God. Our sin, those those things that we do that go against God, that, that elevate ourselves above God, are serious because they separate us for eternity from our Creator and our Sustainer. And our ability to heal ourselves in our own power is just as hopeless as that of the leper. The Bible makes it clear that just one sin makes us unclean and separates us from a holy and perfect God. There are no number of good deeds No number of kind words, sacrifices, church services attended that can make up for the sin in our life. We are in a hopeless and powerless position. So both we and the leper are in a hopeless position as we approach Jesus, the Son of God and the Savior of the world. The second thing we see about this leper is his plea. And what we see is that the leper approaches Jesus with humility and with desperation. For this hopeless leper, he had a glimmer of hope for the first time in years. He had heard of a man named Jesus that had power over sickness and that was able to heal. And then he heard this man was in Galilee and was going to be passing through. This man that was once hopeless had hope again. And as he approaches Jesus with humility because he he knows he himself can't heal, but he believes that Jesus can And this belief that Jesus uh, is his only hope leads him to approach Jesus with desperation. Verse 40, a man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. If you remember, we talked about a leper was not to approach anyone. But instead, a leper was to announce his presence and send people away. But this man is so desperate that he throws aside all cultural norms and he comes to Jesus to a point that not only could Jesus hear him, but Jesus could reach out and touch him. His desperation, his need led him to leave everything to call out to Jesus. And then secondly, he doesn't just shout out, hey, Jesus, if you've got the time, could you come over and heal me? No, Mark says he got on his knees and he begged Jesus to heal him. In this, we see desperation, but we also see humility. Have you ever begged someone for something? For most of us here, we are, we are not in this humbled of a position often in our lives, but uh, it's a totally different request to beg as opposed to just ask. Maybe you think about your prayer life. Often we pray asking God to bless our food, to, to give us a good night's sleep, to bless our family, and so on. We pray asking God to do something. But then there are times in our lives where we get the diagnosis or we get the news Or the health crisis takes a turn for the worse and we beg. We beg God to heal. We beg God to save. We beg God for provision or for another opportunity. And those times we have no inhibitions. We get on our knees and we call out with desperation. So that's the scene here. This man is on his knees begging Jesus to heal him. But here's the reality. When we understand the desperation of our situation as sinners separated from a holy and perfect God, and we hear that there is hope, that there is a Savior, that there is solution, that there is eternal life possible, it should lead us to the same humble and desperate plea for forgiveness in life. It's a humble plea because we can't do it on our own, and we need help. And it's a desperate plea because Jesus, as he says in the Bible, is the only one who can save, the only one who can forgive. 
So when we realize our situation and the hope that is available in Jesus, then it ought to lead us to get on our knees before him and beg for life, for forgiveness. And the good news is that the Bible says that if we do that, Jesus is always faithful to forgive our sins and give us eternal life. And that leads to our next point. The leper is humble, he is desperate, and the leper believes that Jesus can save, that Jesus can heal. Verse 40, if you are willing, you can make me clean. The leper does not presume on Jesus to heal, but he does not doubt his power or ability. He has heard the testimony of others whom Jesus has healed. He knows this is his only hope for healing. He does not demand that Jesus heal him, but he humbly puts himself in Jesus' hands. He puts it all on Jesus. He says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Simple, humble, genuine faith. I believe that's the way God still wants us to approach him today. Whether it's for the first time or the thousandth time, we come to God with genuine, humble faith. And when it comes to turning to Jesus for salvation, we know that he is faithful to forgive, faithful to give life, faithful to give salvation, faithful to make you clean. And if you're a follower of Jesus and you are dealing with an overwhelming situation, this is the pattern for how to, to approach, approach Jesus in that situation as well. At times, your situation may feel hopeless, and it may be hopeless in human terms. But the promise is it's never hopeless with God. So come to Him, pour out your heart to Him, tell Him your need, and leave it with Him. If you are willing, you can heal me. If you are willing, you can help me. God, I know you can do all things, so I trust myself to you. That's how the leper approached Jesus. And that's the pattern for how we approach God today as well. Does that mean that Jesus uh, will always heal, always act, always do what we ask? No. But we can know as Roman prom Romans promises that he will work it all out for our good and for his glory. We can know that he always hears and we can know that he loves us and those for whom we may be praying for. So whether you need to turn to Jesus for the first time and to experience his forgiveness of sin or you are a follower of Jesus in a seemingly hopeless situation, this is the model of how we come before him. We come humbly, asking for help, determined and with genuine faith, knowing that Jesus is able. Is your hope, is your hopeless, in your hopeless situation, are you turning to God or are you turning to the things of the world? Are you trying to fix the problem yourself? Or are you seeking the Lord and his wisdom? The leopard sought the help of the only one that could heal him. So that is the leper and that is us. But, but let's spend a few minutes looking at Jesus' response and his character in this miraculous encounter. Verses 41 and 42. Jesus was indignant. He reached out his hand and he touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Now verse 41 is an interesting one because uh, the NIV that we read from translate Jesus, translates Jesus' emotion as indignant. Others say angry, and yet other versions say compassion. On the surface, those seem like really varying emotions, don't they? Uh, most scholars agree that the best literal translation here is indignant or angry. But this anger is not directed at the leopard, but it is instead a righteous anger directed at sin and at Satan. He recognized this disease as a consequence of the sin of the world and the work of Satan. John 10 says that Satan comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Romans 8 tells us that even the world 
groans under the weight or the consequences of sin. So when it says that Jesus is angry or indignant with sin and with Satan who have, so it says that Jesus is angry and indignant with the sin and with Satan who comes to destroy this man's life. But the flip side of that emotion is compassion. So Jesus being compassionate for this man becomes angry at what has happened to him. I think about my children. Uh, there have been some times where I've seen someone be mean or, or be a jerk to my child. And my compassion for my child leads me to be angry at the one who is being mean to them. So the two different translations here come from both sides of the emotions that Jesus felt when he saw the man. So Jesus had compassion for the man, but on the flip side had a righteous anger for the disease and the work of sin. So the first thing we see about Jesus is that he has compassion on the man. Jesus had compassion on the leper. Jesus doesn't just heal out of obligation. He doesn't heal for some alternative purpose. But his healing is fueled by his compassion for this man. In the same way, it wasn't guilt, obligation, or a power trip that sent Jesus to the cross. Instead, he willingly went to the cross on your behalf and my behalf. He died for the consequences of my sin and your sin out of love for us and out of compassion for our state of being. John 3.16 says that it was God's love that motivated him to send Jesus to die for your sins and my sins. In 1 John 4.10 it reads, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. In Matthew 26, Jesus says he could have called down 10,000 angels at any time and stopped the crucifixion. But he didn't because his love of the Father and his love of you and I compelled him to go through, to give his life for the sins of the world. Jesus loves you. And he willingly gave his life so that you could be forgiven. And this was motivated by his love for this Father and his love for you. But not only did Jesus heal the man, but he reached out and he touched the man. At first glance, this might not seem like a big deal, but remember, this man had leprosy. And there was no understanding of how this spread, so you did not touch a leper. I mean, the closest thing I can think of uh, for this uh, comes from those few, first few weeks as this COVID pandemic thing happened. We didn't know how it spread, so what did we do? We didn't leave our house. We wore over-the-top protections. We didn't touch anything. We bought out toilet paper and hand sanitizer, right? We didn't know what was going on, so we didn't get, around, we didn't get close to it. Or if you think back to the late 80s and the early 90s when the uh, AIDS epidemic became mainstream knowledge, people at first didn't know what it was or how it spread. And so those that had AIDS were essentially treated like lepers. One of the most famous people to come out with AIDS in the early 90s was uh, Magic Johnson of the Los Angeles Lakers. Once he, uh, once he told the world this, he immediately took a leave. Uh, he didn't play the first half of the 91-92 season. But because he was such a popular player, despite not playing, the fans voted him into the All-Star game that year. And there was such a lack of understanding about how it spread that superstars like Carl Malone said they wouldn't even get on the same court as Magic Johnson. But he accepted this invitation and he showed up at the game as a starter. And there was a ton of coverage and controversy about his appearance because they didn't know how this spread or what was going on. But before the game, Isaiah Thomas, the point guard for the Detroit Pistons, met him at midcourt. And he greeted Magic Johnson, as he always had, with a, with a European-style kiss on the cheek. It was shocking. 
but it was a powerful statement of compassion and a welcome back for, his, for this man and for his friend that many were afraid to even shake hands with. So that's what Jesus does here. He meets this man where he is, in his disease, and he touches him. You can almost imagine the disciples and the crowds watching this play out, asking, is he really going to talk to this leper? He's not going to touch him, is he? Is he really going to do that? And on top of the perceived physical risk, uh, risk, Jesus made himself ceremonially unclean by touching this man. But that didn't matter. Jesus had compassion on the man, and he met him where he was in the mess that he was in. And that's exactly what Jesus does for all that come to him. Jesus doesn't say to us, get your life together. He doesn't say, stop sinning, stop your addiction, get out of debt, attend 40 consecutive weeks of church, or clean yourself up before you come to me. But instead, he meets us where we are when we turn to him with humility, with desperation, with the request to forgive me, to give me new life, and to make me clean. When we repent, Jesus meets us where we are, and he reaches out and he touches us. Jesus doesn't approach us with guilt and shame, but the Bible says he approaches us with compassion. Jesus loves you. He has compassion on you and whatever it is that you are going through. And the next thing we see is that not only does Jesus have compassion on the man, but Jesus has the power. He is able and he is willing to heal. Jesus is able and he is willing to heal. The leper says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus responds to him by saying, I am willing, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was cleansed. Jesus was not only willing, but he also had the power to heal. Touching the leper had the opposite effect from what the people expected. Instead of Jesus becoming ill, the leper became well. Jesus merely spoke the word, and the man was immediately cured. That word cured here in verse 42 is the same word for clean that both Jesus and the leper used. So Mark emphasizes not only was the leper cured, but he, he was made clean. As we said earlier, in that time, they believed, they believed to have leprosy was to be cursed by God for your sin, to be spiritually unclean, to be broken and separated from a holy God. This man believed that leprosy was his greatest need. But Jesus knew it wasn't his leprosy that was his greatest need, but it was instead his sin. Because like our sin, it was his sin that separated him from a holy God. So Jesus heals his greatest perceived need, but Jesus also has the power to forgive his sins and make clean his greatest need, which is his sin. And it is that forgiveness of sins that Jesus gave his life for and still offers to any and all that will turn to him today. Like the leper, we all have needs that we believe are our greatest needs. For some of us, it's financial. For some of us, it's job-related. For others, it's health or family-related. For some, it's emotional or trauma-related. And what we see here in this exchange is that Jesus sees all those needs, and he has compassion on them. He is angered by them. He has compassion for you. And while those needs are all very real, and Jesus has genuine compassion on them, our greatest need is not the temporal things of this earth, but instead it's our salvation, our sin, which separates us from God for eternity. And it is that greatest need that Jesus came and gave his life for. And that he willingly forgives and heals for any and all that will repent and turn to him. 
Romans 10, 9 promises that you turn to Jesus and confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord and believe that he was raised from the dead, victorious over death and sin, then you will be forgiven. It says there are, there are no ifs, ands, or buts about it. If you turn to Jesus and ask for forgiveness, you will be forgiven. He has already paid the price for your sin. And he waits willing and ready to forgive. Willing and ready to heal your greatest need. Ephesians 2.12 speaks of a time when we were without hope and without God in the world. That's the leper and that is us. He was cut off. He was unclean. His condition was hopeless. But then he met Jesus. And he cast himself on Jesus' mercy and said, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus says, I am willing, be clean. It is only Jesus that can make you clean. You are a sinner. You are separated from God because of your sin. You cannot cleanse yourself. You cannot clean yourself up. Without Jesus, we are all hopelessly lost. It is only Jesus that can make you clean. And Jesus didn't say to the leper, you are clean. Because the leper was not. He didn't say to the leper, go clean yourself. For the leper could not. Instead, he said, be clean. And the leper was immediately cleansed from his disease. In the same way with the sin in our life, Jesus does not say to you, you are clean. For you are not. He does not say to you, clean yourself up. Because we cannot. But when you come to Jesus, confessing your sin and putting your faith in him, he says to you, be clean. You are immediately cleansed from all unrighteousness. So if you're here today and you have never trusted Jesus, your Lord and Savior, and experienced his forgiveness of sins, then know that he has paid the price for you. He waits for you to turn to him. He loves you. He waits for you to turn and ask him for forgiveness, for healing, for cleansing. And the promise is if you turn to him, he will forgive you. That's something you can do simply right in your seat uh, if, if you turn to him with a determined, genuine faith in your heart. And you can pray something as simply as along the lines of, Jesus, I know I have sinned. I know I have done things my own way that go against you, and I know that sin separates me from a holy God. I believe that you are the Son of God, and I believe you died the death my sin deserves. I believe you rose victorious over sin and over death. Please, Jesus, forgive me. Of my sins. Thank you for loving me and giving your life to me. I want to make you the Lord, the leader of my life, all the days of my life. And if you pray something along those lines with a genuine and determined faith, then the Bible promises that you will be forgiven. You will be made righteous. And you will inherit eternal life in Jesus. But it doesn't end there. The story doesn't end there. Jesus then sends the healed, the redeemed, out on mission with purpose to share that good news with others. So that's the last thing we see. Jesus sends the man with purpose and intentionality. Verses 43 through 45. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go show yourself to the priests and offer sacrifice, the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. But instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. First glance, this seems like a really, really strange part of this story. Jesus tells the man to go to the temple and to keep quiet. 
So let's first look at why would Jesus send the man to the temple? Well, in Leviticus chapter 14, there are specific instructions on what a leper is to do if they are healed and how they can re-enter society. It was a long, elaborate procedure involving birds, water, bathing, shaving, the washing of clothes, and the sacrifice of three lambs. This process is all very symbolic of, of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross that was to come, but this process also helped to validate the leper's story. Uh, even today, it is really easy to say that I have been healed of something, but no one is going to believe me until I go to the doctor and have proof of that healing. In the same way, going to the priest provided the validity of his healing, and it restored him back into society. But along with that, Jesus had a purpose, a mission field in mind for this leper, and that was for him to go to the priest and those in the temple. He says in verse 44, go to the priest and your healing will be a testimony to them. Jesus had changed this man's life and he was to go and to share his story with those at the temple. To share his story with the priests. This man had a story. He had evidence that related to those in the temple and was an amazing testimony to them of Jesus' power. And it provided evidence to the priests of them that Jesus was indeed the Messiah, the promised Savior. In Isaiah chapter 35, Isaiah prophesies that the Messiah will be a Messiah that will heal. The priests knew these prophecies. And this man was tangible proof to them that Jesus was healing and fulfilling the prophecies of Isaiah. So Jesus sends the man with a mission to go to the priest for the leopard's good of re-entering society, but also for the purpose of making Jesus known in the temple and for the glory of God. And that's what Jesus does for us. When we are saved, when we are forgiven, we are given new life in Jesus. He then sends us back out with purpose and intentionality. And often the place he sends us to is right back where we came from. Our story, our transformation is best seen by those like us and those who know us. So we are sent back to our workplaces, our friends groups, our family, our teams, our schools, the ball fields with a story of faith, of healing, of transformation that provides proof of our testimony, tangible proof of the gospel, the hope of Jesus. So go where Jesus sends you and share boldly your testimony, your story of faith. Yet we, like the leper, often think we have better plans and better ideas. This leper didn't listen to Jesus, and it caused all sorts of headaches for Jesus. Instead of going where he was sent, the leopard went throughout the town, and verse 45 tells us it got so chaotic that Jesus couldn't stay or move throughout the town, so he was relegated to places of isolation. Jesus, in his ministry, didn't desire to be a sideshow. But, said, as we, but instead, as we said in the intro, his miracles were signs that confirmed and pointed people to his real purpose, which was forgiveness of sins and eternal life. Jesus didn't just come to heal the physical, which is temporal, but he came to heal the soul, which is eternal. Miracles were a part of Jesus' ministry, but they were not the main event. They were not the main purpose. Jesus' primary purpose was to save souls, to proclaim the good news of the gospel and salvation to all people. This leper was sent to give testimony to the priests at the temple. When he didn't listen, he missed the opportunity to give testimony at the temple, and he created a hindrance for Jesus' ministry. And there are people that still do this today. There are people that instead of, of sharing the gospel with those around them, will go and they will shove the gospel down people's throats when the time is not right, and it creates a distraction. 
There are people who love to condemn a lost and dying world by telling them about the reality of hell, by telling them about the heinousness of their sin, but they fail to mention God's love and the forgiveness available to them. There are people who teach religion, rules, dress codes, and tradition as opposed to a relationship with Jesus, and it distracts from the truth and the hope of the gospel. Paul in Romans 10, 10 2 says there are some that have enthusiasm for God, but it is misdirected zeal. God has a purpose and a mission for you. Go where he sends you and share the hope of the gospel. As Peter says, share it with gentleness, respect, and compassion. This man was sent to the priest to share the hope, the good news of Jesus with them, but he went his own way. Jesus has sent you to your friend group to your workplace, to your family, to share the hope of Jesus with them. Jesus has sent you to Green River, to Wyoming, to the West. Share Jesus with love and with compassion. Share Jesus faithfully with gentleness, respect, and compassion. Share him with determined faith, believing that Jesus can and he will save. You are saved. You are transformed. You are sent. So go and share where Jesus sends you. So as we reflect on this, this miracle, as we reflect on Mark uh, chapter 1, 1, 40 through 45, the first question for us to consider is, is, do we know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? Do you know him as your Lord and Savior? Have you experienced his forgiveness of sin? Maybe you're here and, and you don't know Jesus, but you feel like you are too far gone. You feel maybe like this leper, you are too unclean to be forgiven. Your situation is too hopeless for Jesus. Please know that he loves you, that he has compassion on you, that he desires to forgive you and heal you of your sin, that he meets you where you are, and he will forgive you if you will repent and turn to him. So if that's you, you can, uh, you can in your seat pray and, and ask him for forgiveness, for new life in him. You can come and talk with me. I'd love to share with you what that looks like to, to trust in Jesus and to turn your life to him. Or you can uh, talk to a friend that you know is a follower of Jesus. It would be their joy, I'm sure, to share with you what it means to follow him. Maybe you're here today and you are a follower of Jesus. I would encourage you to just uh, reflect on your story, on your salvation this week. Give thanks for what Jesus has done in your life. Give thanks for the transformation you've experienced. Give thanks for the promise of an eternity with him that you have. Give thanks that you are forgiven. And as you do that, give thanks, but also perhaps write out your story and share it with someone this week. That leads to our final thing. Where is it that Jesus has sent you? Where has he sent you? Where is your workplace, your home, your community? Where has he sent you to share the hope of Jesus? Are you faithfully going? Are you faithfully proclaiming his hope? Maybe you're like this leper and you've gone your own way. You're on your own mission. Would you repent and, and turn and go and share where Jesus sent you? Share, with a, share his hope. Share with a determined faith, praying and knowing that he can and will transform lives. I'm going to pray for us as I do. The worship team, they're going to come uh, and lead us in the final song. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this this story, Lord, we thank you for your miraculous healing of this leper. God, we thank you for the promise that, that no matter what we are going through or no matter what situation we are in, you see us and you love us and you have compassion on us. 
God, and first and foremost, I pray if there's someone here that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, Lord, that you would give them the courage, the clarity, the boldness to repent, to turn to you, to ask for forgiveness, Lord. God, and we thank you that if they do that, the Bible promises that there are no question marks about it, but you will forgive. You will give eternal life. God, and that's a promise we can stake our lives on. God, I pray there's someone here that doesn't know you in that way. God, that you give them the courage to turn to you today. God, and I thank you for so many here that do know you in that way. Lord, would you help us to be remembered of our story of faith, to be reminded of who we were before we uh, met you, before we, uh, before we experienced salvation. Would you remind us of how you have transformed us, how you love us, how you have compassion on us, Lord, maybe we are in a hopeless situation right now. Lord, would you give us the courage to turn that over to you, to trust it to you, to turn to you with genuine, determined, humble faith. God, we pray that you would act in that situation. But God, we also pray that we would remember our stories and we would be overwhelmed with gratitude, Lord, and that would leave us to, to share that hope with others. God, would you help us to see our lives, to see those places that you send us daily. Lord, to see those as our, as our sent space, as our mission field. God, and we be people that boldly pray and boldly proclaim and share your hope with others. And God, we pray that as we share, that you will move and that you will save many in our lives and in our community. That they would experience the hope and forgiveness that is available in you alone. God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that, that you sent your son to die the death we deserve. We thank you for the hope and forgiveness that is available in Jesus. God, I pray that we would turn and trust our lives to you. God, we love you. It's your name we pray.